Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year's Eve to you all. It's good to see your smiling faces again. Seems like it's been a good uh, Christmas season for everybody here. So I'm happy to come up here and share God's word with you all today. And as, uh, as normal for this time of this year, uh, usually start to reflect upon the past year, right? Reflect upon the year that you just are just about to end as you embark on the new year. And uh, as I, re- I was reflecting upon some of the big news stories from this past year, um, a lot of things kept on coming up uh, consistently through my research or what I've seen uh, as I've talked about and thought about the end of the year. Uh, many different stories uh, that were related to political stuff or uh, to racism or to sexism. And, but one of the biggest ones that kept on coming up as it related to all those different topics was the topic of fake news, right? <laughs> you guys probably forgot about it right now already, right? You're like, I'm trying to forget about fake news, all right? I don't even want to hear about it. It's tweeted way too much, all that kind of stuff, okay? I understand. But when I started thinking about that topic, um, it's something that we can run into over and over again. I mean, like more often than not, I feel like I click on a news story and I have to do more research to find out, is this news story actually true or, or is this something fake that someone made up? And as I was thinking about that topic of fake news, what is real, what is fake, um, I came across this news story that talked about how there's a town in Macedonia who they produced a lot of fake news websites <laughs> so that they could get people to click on these websites. And every click that uh, someone did on this website, the people who did this made money from it. And I was like, that's pretty interesting. I'm like, uh, that is, uh, doesn't sound like a lucrative business to me, but um, in Macedonia, for example, uh, the average person would make about $426 a month, and people who were doing this fake news websites would make $2,500 a day. So you can see it was a money-making business for them, and there's all a debate about where the money come from, all that stuff. I'm not going to talk about that, just so you know. You're like, we're not here to talk about that. But when I started thinking about the topic of fake news, it's like, how, do you, how can you tell what's real? How can you tell what's fake? And when I think about the topic we're going to look at today, we see some people in Scripture, in the book of Galatians, who they were going around preaching the gospel. And the church had a hard time deciphering, well, is this the truth of the gospel or is this a false gospel? And sadly, a lot of people in the church uh, believed this false gospel and were swayed in the direction that was contrary to everything that Jesus was, came here for. And as a result, it caused a lot of division within the church. So I wanted to look at this passage today. Guys, I've been putting this message on my heart as I wanted to share. We're going to be looking at the book of Galatians. Uh, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 2. And in there, like I said, there's a group of people who um, claim that in order to, for you to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to convert to Judaism before you can be a believer in Jesus. And we know that's not true. That's not true at all, but I want to walk through there and talk through a few points as it relates to this passage, this topic, because it's very influential for us as a church and can be very impactful for us as we look in God's Word today. So we're looking at Galatians chapter 2. We're reading verses 11 through 16. And uh, if you have God's Word, uh, open up there. If not, we'll have it on the screens for you so you can follow along with us. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. It says this, But when Cephas came uh, to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with Gentiles. 
But when they came, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. God, as we look at this passage and this topic today, uh, I pray that you will speak through me. Um, as we look here and we see that many people were swayed by a false gospel, uh, and I pray, I thank you so much that uh, when we go astray ourselves, um, you call us back, you bring us back, and your grace is sufficient for us, even though we run and go um, all the different directions that are contrary to your word and contrary to the way that you've called us to live. But God, I thank you so much for this time, and I pray that you speak powerfully through me. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you can see by reading this passage, we kind of picked up in the middle of a story. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background information so you understand what's going on in this passage so that we can tackle this together. So at the beginning, uh, Paul is writing here to the church in Galatia, and he says, But when Cephas came to Antioch. Now Cephas is uh, Peter. Peter, like the Peter that we're talking about in this series, different. The same guy, it's just his Jewish name. Um, so Cephas is his name. When he came to, he said, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, that's, that's a really harsh statement to say, because if you all remember that Jesus called Peter, uh, told Peter, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Peter is the leader of the church. And right here, Paul, who you remember he, um, when he killed Christians and persecuted Christians, is calling out the leader of the church. So for, the, for hits to happen, something big has to have occurred here for Paul to call out the leader of the church and saying, listen, I opposed you to your face, and it's in Scripture for all of us to read now here today. So what happened? Well, um, there's this group called the Circumcision Group, and they're the group of people who uh, went around, and they wanted to teach people that, hey, in order for you to be a believer in Jesus Christ— you need to follow all the laws and customs according to Moses to be a believer. Well, that's not true. But that viewpoint became so ingrained in people that it swayed Peter, it swayed James, it swayed Barnabas, and many other disciples and leaders of the church to believe a false gospel. Well, what is the real gospel? So a lot of, the, a lot of these early Christians and early Christian leaders actually got together. You can read that in Acts chapter 15. And they got together in Antioch, the first place where people were called Christians. And in Antioch, what happened there was a lot of them got into a deep discussion about, well, what is, what, they, around this one question. The question was this, what does a person have to do to be saved? Like, what does a person have to do to be saved? Like, do you have to become, um, you know, follow the laws of Moses? Or, like, what must a person do? And after all this discussion in Acts chapter 15, it came to one thing. And the thing was this, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. All right? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. That's what they came up with. Uh, Paul, all the other leaders of the church, they're like, there's no other um, regulation or rule that you have to follow in order to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But 
this circumcision group obviously wasn't happy because in their minds, they're like, well, I myself uh, grew up uh, in the Jewish faith. Christianity birthed out of the Jewish faith. Why wouldn't people want to be, need, have to become Jewish in order for them to become Christian? And it caused, like I said, so much division. And when I think about that, there's a lot of cultural things, cultural requirements that they were pushing upon the church that were not necessary that I wanted to kind of think about because for us in our day, I feel like sometimes we can push our culture on people and add requirements to people um, uh, as it relates to them coming to faith in Jesus Christ. We do this unintentionally, and I think a lot of times we think about our culture and, and push our culture on the gospel and we need to be careful not to do that because we have, if we do that, we're creating a false gospel just like these people were doing. So praise God that, um, you know, we don't have to convert to another religion in order to follow Jesus. Praise God that, through, by, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Well, as it relates to that, I have four points I wanted to talk, to, talk about as it relates to this passage. The first one is this. We must fight against ethnocentrism in the church. Uh, ethnocentrism is the evaluation of other cultures according to the standards and customs of one's own culture. We need to fight against ethnocentrism in the church. Now, uh, I was doing some study looking at uh, the, just the way that Paul uh, interacts with the churches. I know a lot of times the Apostle Paul gets a lot a bad rap for, you know, he's this very aggressive guy and um, he's non-loving. It can be harsh in the way that he communicates to the church. But in all of his letters, he starts off communicating to God's people in the same kind of format. So the format he uses is he'll say, he'll introduce himself. That way that people know that this is coming from um, a man who's been ordained by God to preach, to preach the gospel. And he says, I am Paul, you know, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he thanks God for giving him the opportunity to preach or write this letter to the church. And then the next thing he usually says is something along the lines of, I thank God for whatever church or people he's talking to. So, for example, um, you know, like in Romans, he says, first, I thank God for you. He says, I give, and another, he says, I, thanks, I give thanks to my God for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God for you in remembering all of you. So this is the way that he starts off his letters as he talks with people. But in the book of Galatians, you know what happens? <laughs> he doesn't start off that way at all. The first thing he says to them is, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. This is one of the harshest words that Paul is saying to any church. The very first thing, I am astonished that you so quickly deserted the gospel to believe a false gospel. And Paul said this, um, he wrote this letter right after he finished his first missionary journey. It was towards the end of his missionary journey, uh, and about maybe a year or so later, they are already swayed into believing a false gospel. And he's like, come on, people. Like, you know, get, get your act together. Like, you know this is not the gospel message. Why are you being swayed by a group of people who are preaching a counterfeit gospel to you? That's, that's false and not true. And I think if we're not careful, we can believe a counterfeit gospel. When I think about the word ethnocentrism and think about what it means to, to evaluate other cultures through our own culture, um, I think that we do that more often than we realize. Uh, when I was thinking about um, just in general um, how people read the Bible, I think a lot of times we read the Bible through whatever dominant culture that we live in. 
For example, uh, I grew up in uh, African-American church, uh, predominantly African-American church. So I felt that when we read the Bible in that way, um, you kind of make up your own idea of what Jesus looked like, what the people in the Bible looked like, et cetera, et cetera. I even got um, a Bible from someone, and it's like, uh, what was it, uh, the Holy Bible for people of color, <laughs> which <laughs> I find kind of hilarious, um, which I was like, huh. And then as I thought about it more, I was like, you know what? The Bible is really diverse. We just don't look at it that way. We don't naturally read it that way. Um, thinking just about the early church, there's people from Israel, Middle East, there's people from Africa, there's people from Asia, and there's people from Europe, just in the early church. But do we think about it that way? So I was just doing some research about this, and I found this picture um, of many faces of Jesus. Um, So it's kind of cool. You can pull that up. Um, Yeah, look at all those many faces of Jesus. Uh, We got Korean Jesus, that's for you, Kicho. Um, We have European American Jesus, West African Jesus, Japanese Jesus, uh, a female Jesus, uh, Filipino Jesus, um, African American Jesus, because everyone needs to look like Richard Sherman, Um, you know, uh, all these different faces of Jesus, right? And we're looking at that, and I'm like, in, in one sense, that's pretty fascinating, is it not? I mean, because whatever culture that we're reading scripture, we tend to personify Jesus in a certain way. And when I thought about this, um, you know, uh, and I was thinking about it, I just wanted to reiterate to everyone that Jesus is Jewish, right? I mean, I don't, I don't I actually, I don't even see a Jesus, a Jewish Jesus up there. <laughs> That's very interesting. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but Jesus was Jewish. Um, he's not American, right? He's not a conservative Republican. He's not a liberal Democrat, okay? Right? Jesus was Jewish. So, but why is it that when we read Scripture, we impersonate and push on our culture onto Jesus? I feel we do the same thing that these false teachers were doing. And we do it unintentionally. It's natural for us to do that. I mean, think about this. I heard this quote um, from Pastor David Platt. Some of you might know him. And he said, we need to desperately explore how much of our understanding of the gospel is American and how much is biblical. And when I think about that, it's so true and it's so convicting because day in and day out, we like to put our American values above scripture and like to distort scripture to support our American values rather than uplift scripture and have that look into the American values that we, we hold so dearly onto. It is hard for us to do this, and I think sometimes we even push our culture and our um, ethnicities on other people. I remember when I first became a believer, and uh, I was, you know, trying to figure out, like, like how, how, how do you even live? Like, how does this even work? What do you even do? Um, and I remember a friend of mine was like, you know, like, Brian, you, you're a really good guy. You're fun. I like hanging out with you. But, you know, like, you play this terrible rap music <laughs> in the car when we're going around hanging out. And uh, I'm like, okay. Uh, and I was like, like what, what are you trying to say? I can't, I can't listen to this music? And he's like, well, it's not that you can't listen to the music, but it's not uplifting and, you know, it's not glorifying God, what you're listening to. So I was like, okay. And I get it. I get it. So then later on that night, as I'm thinking about, like, man, what's, what's going on here? This guy, he would go and he would play his country music. <laughs> that was definitely, it's not God-honoring country music, right? You know, 
Um, I, I don't listen to country music, so like I don't even I don't even know lyrics to give you. I tried to look up lyrics. I don't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> you know, like, give you some terrible lyrics that kind of show you the culture. But um, I remember this guy was getting up there, and he's even talking. He was like, you know what, like this uh, awesome God-ordained music, country music. And he was just going on and on about how awesome it was. And I was like, hey, hey, like, if you're going to call me out for listening to rap music and that's not glorifying to God, uh, some country music doesn't glorify God either. Like, so why is it okay for you to listen to country music and not okay for me to listen to rap music? I know. I just, I'll just leave it there. I'm done. I, I didn't actually say that to him, but, you know, I was thinking it, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but I was wrestling with in that moment, like, well, don't push, like, your culture on me and, and, and say that my culture is terrible when you're not evaluating your own culture. And like I said, it's natural for us to do that. It's natural to look um, at other cultures through the lens of our culture and push that on for other people. And that leads to my second point, is when we do those type of things, an ethnocentric mindset hinders our gospel message. It hinders our gospel message. That's what happened here in the early church. It hindered the gospel message. Paul was writing to them, and he said uh, in verse 12, For certain men came from James. He was eating with Gentiles. But when he came back and he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to them all, if, you li- if though you, a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, don't be a hypocrite. Like, don't act, ask someone to live a certain way when you yourself are not living that way yourself. And I think about that, that ethnocentric mindset hinders our gospel message. Um, I was actually, I heard of a story of a pastor um, uh, and anyway, this pastor was at this church, and he wanted to reach the community. And as he was reaching the community, he came upon a Native American um, group of kids that were in a Native American reservation. And he would go there, and he'd pick up the kids and bring them to the church. And um, week by week, and it was fun, and it was good. And it was just connecting with people who were different than him. And long story short, um, one, one Sunday, a few church members came up to him said, why do you bring those kids to church? <laughs> um, and long story short, they basically told him, don't bring those kids to church. And when I thought about that, uh, that was pretty heartbreaking. Like, why wouldn't you want someone to be able to hear, opportunity to hear the gospel? And when you dug a little bit deeper, it was because the kids were uh, different ethnicity. They were a different age. They spoke different. They acted different. They didn't follow the rules and customs of that culture. And they didn't fit in with the, with the makeup of the church. Like, they stood out like sore thumbs. And sadly, the church didn't want, the church people didn't want the kids to be there. So long story short, that, that ministry ended. And when I think about that, that's what I think about when I think about ethnocentrism. And us, ourselves, putting our values and our um, way of thinking, our way of life, above the message of Jesus Christ. Now, that story should break our heart to see that, to hear about that happening. I even remember a time when I was uh, uh, a pastor at a church in Denver, and in the community I was in, there's uh, 44 uh, different native languages spoken by kids who attended the school um, that our church met at. So it was very diverse. 
And uh, I remember preaching a message uh, uh, just about um, justification through faith and salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, Jesus Christ. And uh, it, at, in, this, in this congregation at the time, um, I, I remember it was just kind of like this one Sunday, it was kind of split. Like majority of the congregation was African-American, other half was Caucasian. And um, anyway, long story short, I preached the message about how we are one, unified in Christ. And uh, I thought it was a good message, probably wasn't, but um, I thought it was a great message. And at the end, I went up to the pulpit to grab my Bible. And I remember I just happened to turn around and I stopped and I looked. And I just preached a message about how we are unified in Christ, right? And on one side of the room, we're all black people. (laughs) And on the other side of the room, we're all the white people. And maybe one or two people intermingling between there. And I just kind of stopped and I was like, do we not understand the gospel? (laughs) Do we not understand the message I just spoke? Why is it that after the service, we can't even talk with one another? Why is it that we have all these barriers to relationship? Why is it that we aren't empowered by the Holy Spirit to go over and act differently? Do something supernatural through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it actually broke my heart. And it broke my heart for several reasons. One, because they heard a message and acted differently. But then two, um, there's a lot of people who didn't come back the next week. And you kind of wonder, where did they go? (laughs) Why are they willing to come out to church and hear a message and then not come back? See, the way that we think about uh, and elevate our culture above the gospel totally affects the message. It can affect the message and hinder the message that we have based upon uh, Jesus Christ. It's sad when that happens, but I wanted to reiterate that the scriptures are not color or culture blind. The scriptures are not color or culture blind. Uh, for those of you uh, who are here today, no matter what culture you're from, you don't have to repent of your, cu- your culture to become a believer in Jesus Christ, right? You don't have to be like, I need to give up my African-Americanness to become a believer. The Bible doesn't call us to be acultural, right? We are all um, uniquely designed and made, and our unity is centered around Jesus. And Jesus values you, values your culture, values where you grew up in. But know this, that the more you walk with Christ, he's going to challenge you in ways that you need to not live out of the natural inclinations of your heart, but live by the power of the Holy Spirit. The third point I want to bring up to this is the church is a multi-ethnic body. The church is a multi-ethnic body. When I think about that, I mean, that's an amazing thing to think about this. Um, I actually... uh, you know, I heard this, this quote I came across, and um, it's by this uh, amazing theologian named Ryan Blackwell. <laughs> For those of you who are visiting, he's, he's the lead pastor of our church. I'm, I'm not the main guy, so you're like, Who's, why is it funny? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> but um, I think it's, uh, I'm going to read it to you, and then uh, I'll... Uh, I don't know. I don't think we have it on the screen, but I'll I'll put it on like my Facebook and all that stuff, and we'll put it online for you all to read later. But I thought it was a great quote that talks about the multi-ethnic nature of the church, and it's this, and it says, "What stands out about the first Christian congregation in Jerusalem is that it was both multi-ethnic and multilingual. It consisted of Greek-speaking Jews and Hebrew-speaking Jews." It consisted of people from continents of Asia, Africa, Europe, 
with all the different cultures and backgrounds that came with those regions. This group was far from homogenous, yet they were committed to one another and continued to grow. That's, you see that in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. In fact, their community was one of a supernatural unity, where they were fully devoted to praying for one another, encouraging one another, sharing meals with one another, and even meeting the physical needs of one another. I mean, that's just an amazing thing when I think about the early church. How did a bunch of people who didn't necessarily speak the same language, who had many different cultures, come together, give up um, their possessions, gave up their time, and spent it with people who they didn't really know um, in order to resemplify the body of Jesus Christ? I think that is an amazing thing when you see that happen in the church. It made me think of that hymn, uh, They'll Know we're, we're Christians by Our Love, right? Anyone know that? I, 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 I'm not going to sing it, but uh, I thought about singing it. <laughs> but it's a great hymn when I think about that song. It's, it talks about they'll know us by our love. They'll know us by our unity. Um, it's just an amazing thing to think about the way that the church is a unified body. And I think about that as it relates to our culture today. I mean, what, what are we pushing for today, right? Uh, in our culture, we're pushing for people uh, of color to be recognized. We're pushing for women to be recognized. Uh, we're pushing um, just for many people who are on the, on the margins to not be so much more on the margins anymore. Uh, and, and I look at all those things, and I, I think it's all going to fall short if it doesn't have something greater, a power greater than them, a power greater than us that's going to unify us. And the amazing thing is, we, the church, have that. We have that message, and we are called to bring that message. But when we put our culture in front of that message of Jesus Christ, it, it totally hinders the message that the church is a multi-ethnic body, a multi-ethnic body that is more than just one ethnicity and is not run by just one ethnicity. I love that hymn when it talks about, they'll know us by our love. Because we are called to love those who are different than us. Called to love those who aren't always like us. I think about um, as Paul, as he continued to, to talk here in this passage, he doesn't end with, you know, talking about, uh, you know, this hammering home Peter. He hammers home theology. Uh, in verses 15 and 16, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth. He was talking about the group he was writing to, which is also why he called Peter Cephas, because he was writing to a group who have a Jewish background. So he's writing in their language. And he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by faith, but by the works of law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. That makes me think of also Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to have that up on the screen here. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. It talks about us being one in Christ, the church being one in Christ. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Remember that you were at the same time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's an amazing verse there that flows into the verse in Ephesians, where 
the Paul is talking about we are one in Christ. One of the, the interesting things when I think about um, the Apostle Paul was, and this, this way that he, he talked to um, the church, uh, I thought it's amazing that he was so filled by the Holy Spirit that he was able to call out people who were not in step with the gospel. How many of us can do that? How many of us are so connected in God's word and spend so much time in God's word that we know a false, false gospel when we see it? Paul here did that. And I think that's an amazing thing that we see that Paul did. Paul here called out people, called out the leader of the church. <laughs> Not saying for you to do that. No, you know, I, mean, I, you know, I mean, if you're off step, you know, I'm sorry. But... You get emails, my bad. <laughs> um, but uh, not saying that, like, like, but what Paul was trying to say here was, hey, listen, like, you're out of line, and here's why you're out of line. But he was doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's an amazing thing that sometimes we forget. When we look at these messages, when we, when we hear stuff, we think that there's real people behind here who know that there are real issues at stake, that were causing divisions in the church Church is getting divided about, well, well how come they uh, can, you know, become and believe, be a believer in Jesus Christ? <laughs> and I myself had to come from this type of background, looking at different things like that. I mean, think about it from the circumcision group, right? They had to be circumcised, follow all the rules and regulations of the Old Testament, um, sit there and wait for, um, for God to, the Messiah to come. And the Messiah finally came. Uh, and it wasn't the way they thought, you know, like throughout scripture in the Old Testament, you see how uh, God calls his people to be holy and distinct, set apart, different. And they're like, why are we called to do this? And then all of a sudden someone over here doesn't have to do these things in order for me, in order for them to be a believer. I had to go through all this rigorous way of life, rigorous way of following these rules and regulations, and they don't. But they're missing the heart of the gospel. They're missing the beauty of a multi-ethnic uh, church. The beauty of people from all different cultures who are coming and being part of the church. It's amazing to see that. So when I started thinking about that for us practically today, I want to challenge uh, you with one thing. Uh, uh, as we're thinking about a multi-ethnic church. Um, do you read or learn from anyone else who's a different culture from you as it relates to our faith? I mean, do you, or do you just read certain theologians who are of a certain ethnicity and only them? And I think that's a challenge for us as a church because we can do that. That's another way <laughs> that we, in a lot of times, um, hinder what God, the ways that God can speak to us by only reading certain people from a certain culture. So I'm not saying, you know, to go out and read stuff that's contrary to the gospel. But go out and are you reading, you know, if you're Caucasian, are you reading African-American pastor's perspective? Um, if you're Asian-American, are you reading um, a white American's perspective? Or you can go down the line and break it down. What other cultures who are believers in Jesus Christ, who are on the same, uh, read, on the same, uh, same side as us, <laughs> um, who are you reading and supporting? And when I think about that from a culture, cultural standpoint, um, I, I came across... Uh, some studies uh, as it relates to Generation Z. <laughs> yeah, they're already, we're already on Z. I don't know what's after Z, but something else. But we're on Generation Z, and that's for anyone born after 2001. So let me read you um, a couple of things as it relates to that generation. 
Uh, number one, Generation Z will not have a majority racial or ethnic group. And for, so for all, all of you who have kids who are 16 and under, they will not have a, grow up in a, in a country, the United States, where they not have a majority racial or ethnic group. That's a lot different than when I grew up. I mean, I, I see that in our church here reflected upon it, and I love that. Um, and so those born in 2001 to today are growing up in a generation of no majority group. For the first time in American history, whites will be a minority while other minority, with other minority groups. That is the real world. Our churches need to reflect that real world. And I'm thankful that our church reflects that. The second thing is homogeny uh, is a form of segregation and is not gospel-centric. Think about that. Homogeny is a form of segregation, and it's not gospel-centric. I've heard um, quoted many, many times and said in many, many different ways, but I've heard that in America, 11 11 a.m. is the most segregated time in our country, right, where people go to worship God, but a lot of times, what happens? Uh, There's African-American church, there's Asian-American church, there's Korean-American church, there's uh, predominantly white church, and when I look at that, it breaks my heart because we've missed the bigger picture of the gospel. And I know here today for us, that doesn't, we can look at this and say, hey, like, that's not our issue. <laughs> uh, thank, praise God, that's not our issue. But are you staying in the pockets of the group of people that are in your church? Like, if I were a pastor of the church, but I only hang out with all the black people in the church, like, that's not good. <laughs> that's not an example of being an multi-ethnic body. You're not exemplifying Christ if you're only hanging out with your group of people. That in no way in shape or form is something that reflecting Christ. Who are you spending time with and engaging with who are diff- who's a different culture than your own? So then the last thing, as it relates to this passage, I started thinking about it, and I was like, if I'm feeling convicted... <laughs> um, what can I do? And uh, I, I thought about this, that the only way that you can even uh, live uh, differently is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Which is why the fourth point is, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can overcome ethnocentrism in the church. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by something that we can do on our own. As I think about uh, the New Year and New Year's resolutions, <laughs> um, is, I think it's, I laugh because, you know, by February, what, they're, they're all done and gone for the most of the resolutions, right? Like, uh, every year I think about, um, I'm like, this year I'm going to work out every day, six hours, right? Or <laughs> something crazy like that. And we, we have these resolutions, of like, I'm going to be a better person, better me. And, uh, you know, I, like, I jokingly call it, like, new year, new me. 2.0, right? And if we're really honest, um, a new year, new ye, me, you have, you're going to have to do that every single year <laughs> over and over again because um, we ourselves, we know we are weak. We, we ourselves know that we are prone to go back to the lives that we used to live. We're prone to live in sin. And when I think about that from this, this passage today, um, I think it is something that we ourselves need to realize that we need a power greater than ourselves in order to live and accomplish this word. And that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I was thinking of Romans chapter 8, verse 5. It says, uh, for those who live according to the flesh, flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. 
Think about it. set your mind on the things of the spirit. Set your mind on things of the flesh. What are you thinking about and praying about? What's on your heart and your mind? What are you constantly um, pondering and letting, meditating on? Because those things that you meditate on are going to dictate how you live your life. If you're meditating on things of the flesh, meditating on uh, my needs, my desires, my cultures, my wants, uh, don't be surprised when you live out of that. I think about uh, the whole concept, con- concept of spending time in the Word. Uh, we don't spend time in the Word to gain knowledge. <laughs> like, that's not why we spend time in the Word. We spend time in the Word to understand and know God more. We spend time meditating on His Word so that we can um, just know Him better. Like, if I was, me being married, a married man, if I just uh, acquired knowledge about my wife, but didn't spend time with her and get to know her, I wouldn't uh, love her the way that she, she needs to be loved. And it's the same kind of thing with spending time with God. Are you spending that time in the Word, meditating on His Word, so that when time comes, you can call out um, the false gospels when you see it? Times where you can live not out of your own volition, not live out of your own ethnicity, but uh, live out of your, uh, apart from that, but you can live by the power of the Holy Spirit, live by, instead of living by your flesh. And when I think about that, that's a very hard thing for us to do. It's a very hard thing for us to think about, but it's a very important thing for us to do. So as we uh, close today, um, I, want, I have a couple questions I want us to ponder during response time. Uh, Kelly is um, going to come up and play here in a few minutes. But I thought about one uh, story that really impacted me uh, as I thought about reaching out to a culture that's different than yours and, and not just thinking about your own. And it's from the movie 42. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie 42, um, but it's a movie about Jackie Robinson and breaking the color barrier in uh, Major League Baseball. And uh, I just remember re- watching the movie. There's a lot of moments in there that kind of make you cringe, uh, moments that make you think about... Um, like just what he went through just to play the game of baseball. And I remember there's a scene in that movie that really struck me. And it was um, a scene that I have a, I have a picture. Um, it's where the captain of the Brooklyn Dodgers, his name is Pee Wee Reese, and um, he was a shortstop. And anyway, in the midst of what was happening in the game, uh, every time Jackie Robinson stepped on the field to uh, warm up, to stretch, uh, you know, he was on deck, anything. He was booed heavily. He was called many names. He was called out for um, just being an African-American and uh, on the baseball field uh, when it was predominantly uh, white at the time. Um, there, was, there were other leagues for people of color, but there was the Major League Baseball was just for uh, whites at that time. And uh, I remember that scene in, uh, where Peary Reese runs over from the shortstop position to the first base and uh, everyone's just kind of like, you know, what's going on? You know, like, this normally doesn't happen. Um, and so he goes and he puts his arm around Jackie Robinson. And as the crowds are booing him and everything, this, the scene goes where the crowd noise kind of dims. And you can hear uh, Jackie Robinson and Pee Wee Reese talking. And he puts his arm around him and he's like, um, he's like I got, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And he's like, I got family up there and I just need them to know. I just need them to know who I am. And what he was saying to Jackie was, uh, I just need them to know that me as a white male, I accept you, a uh, black male, 
and not, not just as a baseball player, but as a man, as a person. And he took this first step of uncomfortableness, right? Because when you have, uh, in the moment where everything is against somebody, he took that moment where it was uncomfortable, and he welcomed Jackie Robinson to the team. Now, for the, for the baseball junkies out there, <laughs> you're like, well, we don't know if this really happened. <laughs> but for the movie's sake, the movie it happened, what we do know is that Pee Wee Reese and Jackie Robinson became very good friends. So much so that Pee Wee Reese opened up um, just the baseball culture to people of other races and ethnicities. He took that, stay, that step of faith where it was uncomfortable to when a community is brought together, um, not sometimes not by our own volition, not by our own power, not by something that we necessarily want, but he saw greater good in it. And he took that step of faith, and he became friends with Jackie Robinson, welcomed him back. And because of that, uh, Peter Reese was known as the person who uh, propelled the acceptance of Jackie Robinson and other, other people of other race into the baseball community. When I think about that, can we say the same for us as a church? Uh, or are we going to put our culture and our race and our needs above those um, that we're interacting with. So I have two questions for us to ponder. Uh, one is, in what ways do you put your culture in front of the gospel? Uh, repent and ask forgiveness for that, because I think we do, all of us, we do that. And the second thing is, who are you building friendships with that are different from you? Might be a socioeconomic difference, might be an ethnic difference, might be an age difference, might be a language barrier. They might have voted differently than you. I don't know. But who are you building friendships with that are different than you? I think a lot of times when we come to about sharing the gospel, we only share with people who are like us. <laughs> and therefore, we neglect people who aren't like us. 